Thank you, John. Appreciate that. Need a little bit more room to spread out than Dan does. Good to see you here today. Uh, welcome. I'm glad you're here in this place. Uh, hope you've had a good weekend. It's been a weekend of some, some really kind of cool mountaintops I've got to visit this, uh, uh, this weekend. Uh, we, uh, uh, one really, really cool mountaintop was uh, Dan's wedding. Uh, well, actually, it wasn't Dan's wedding. It was Becca's wedding. But in many ways, it was Dan's wedding. Uh, uh, he did a masterful job. I've had two of my three daughters get married, and I tell you, it's no small thing. We talked about it, you know. I hadn't, in fact, I, I didn't tell him this, but I had my, uh, my notebook ready in case he folded emotionally during the ceremony. I could step in, but he was masterful how he weaved in his love for Rebecca and uh, the gospel and his love for his new son-in-law, Master. Great mountaintop. Uh, next mountaintop, love this mountaintop this weekend. Got a new grand dog. A little seven-week-old golden retriever puppy. And there's the proud mom and dad right back there. There's, take a, there you go. Margie, Margie uh, is her name. She came over and I got down and she started gnawing on my ear. So that's really cool. Got that little experience. And, uh, but nothing beats the mountaintop of what happened behind me, amen, just a little bit earlier. Uh, these baptisms, and, and uh, wow, uh, what a, a mountaintop we've seen. It, it, there, it, we got up there, and um, uh, we just got so excited because it was like, especially on the guy side, because we had you know, several of us getting ready at the same time, Jonathan and me, and then those getting baptized, and it got a little crowded, and so finally we just got, you know, got in a circle and prayed, and we kind of put our hands in and did this kind of thing, just celebrating uh, Jesus and uh, that God had brought us to that place, and what a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, well, I, I want to, this morning, I want to begin with a question. And the question I have is, uh, would you have liked to have been an explorer? Would you have liked to have been one of those explorers like a Columbus? I mean, would you have it within you to do what Columbus did, to get on a ship, try to go to Asia, and uh, I know Scott Egan's shaking his head, absolutely, I, I'm, I'm down for that, you know. Uh, you headed for Asia, and you run, run into the West Indies, and, and I didn't realize I did a little reading this weekend, at, like two days before they hit the West Indies, that uh, everybody wanted to turn around, and they almost mutinied. And he said, just give me another two days. Just give me a couple more days, and I think we're going to, and it was like the next day they, they sighted land. Uh, would you like to be an explorer? Maybe uh, like a, a Lewis and Clark. Anybody watch those, uh, uh, those specials on Netflix, those, uh, uh, those historical things about like different things like the Civil War, anybody into that? I love those kind of things. Uh, I watched one on Lewis and Clark and how they explored and they went through the Missouri River and no uh, white men as they had known, maybe a few trappers had ever seen the Rockies. They discovered the Rocky Mountains and, and they thought it would just be a few days to get through them and it took months to get through what they thought was just a few days, but they, they discovered the, uh, new things. Uh, you know, being an explorer uh, is where you make discoveries. Um, I'll put up behind us um, a, the word discovery. It means to obtain sight of or knowledge of something that maybe hasn't ever been seen before, at least not by you. Lewis and, or Clark saw those Rockies and again made that discovery. They obtained sight of the Rockies and knowledge and they went back to the East Coast and said, you got to understand, we made this discovery. We want to share this with you. Uh, they, 
Columbus went back to England and said, we, we obtained sight of a new land. We've had this knowledge now. We've made this discovery. We want you to know about it now so that you can have this uh, part knowledge in your life. There's no probably better discovery, though. There's other areas of discovery other than just uh, of land or maybe even in science, uh, making discoveries. But I like relationships. Relationships are a cool place we make discoveries too. When we're a child, maybe you're, you're journeying along and as, a, as a youngster and, and all of a sudden you discover uh, your dad, that you, have, that you have a dependable dad. And man, you make that discovery that I can count on my dad or a mom that can comfort you, uh, comfort you. Um, but there's no better discoveries than romance. Romance is the coolest discovery as you're journeying through life and all of a sudden you see that guy, that girl, and uh, all of a sudden something hits. For me, it was Gina. It was 1980, all right, date ourselves a little bit. We're in the other auditorium and uh, I, I saw her for the very first time and I made that discovery and I went, whoa, you know, uh, I obtained sight of and knowledge of this new girl that I did not know. And uh, I went home and uh, uh, we uh, asked her out that very afternoon, the first time I saw her, because a friend made this like contract with her best friend that we wanted to double date, and they signed the paper, like if my friend asked you out, dot here, sign here, initial here, you will say yes. And uh, she initialed everything, and, and uh, I called her on the phone, and I said, uh, hey, um, uh, Gina, she goes, yes, this is Joe Drummer. She goes, who? I said, Joe Drummer, and she, we went on, and it was like, and that hurt my feeling for like months and years that she didn't know who I was, and finally we got married, and I said, you know, I still can't get, she goes, oh, I knew who you were, I just was messing with you, you know, uh, but I made that discovery, what was the most beautiful thing, though, is after we went out on that first date, uh, I knew she was a beautiful person on the outside, but I found out she was so, so much fun to be with. And that, that she loved the Lord. And that she, she, she had depth of, of just, could be, she became my best friend. I made that, I obtained knowledge of that. And that changed our relationship. You see, where I'm headed with this is that's true with God too. As we journey with Him initially, we have certain ideas about God. You have certain ideas about God, but your knowledge is not adequate of who God is. He is finite. He is infinite, and we are finite. And He reveals who He is to us through His Word, through Jesus Christ, through nature. He reveals who He is, and we make discoveries. And just like when I found out my dad was dependable, I had that knowledge now, and I could depend on my dad. If I had a, a flat tire or car problems, now I had that knowledge to draw upon. And I could call him on the phone. When I found out about Gina, that she could be my best friend, you know, I, I said, you know, that's who I want to hang out. See, knowledge changes everything. When we discover things about people and relationship, it changes everything. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to go back into the Old Testament and we're going to look at people who made discoveries about God. They added to their knowledge about God. And what we can do is we can go to those places and we can add to our knowledge and it'll change our relationship with God. So our message this morning is, in this, is entitled Discovering God. Discovering God. 
The very first place we're going to go to is Genesis chapter 16. So would you join me in Genesis chapter 16? And uh, to get a little bit of background, get a little background, in Genesis chapter 15, Abram receives a promise. Abram receives a promise from God. And that is that he is going to have a son. Well, time went on and no son developed. Sarah, his wife, and, and Abram both became impatient. Well, Sarah gives Hagar, her maidservant, to Abram to have a child. Now, we read that and we go, well, that's really strange and weird. You know, why would any woman do that? Well, in this particular culture, that was a social custom. All right? But we see very quickly Sarah doesn't like the outcome. Because after Hagar is pregnant, a bitter feud develops between Hagar and Sarah. And in verse 6 of chapter 16, Sarah mistreats Hagar to the point that she runs away. Now, guys, we have to get into this. She is pregnant and alone. You've got to think about it. She is pregnant, and, and she didn't do anything wrong in this, cu- in this culture. She just did what was asked of her. She did what was, was accepted in society, and, but just going along, she was mistreated, and she ran away, and she was all alone with no around, and she was pregnant. Look at verse 6. It says, Your servant is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. And Sarah mistreated Hagar, and so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? Now that's a great question. I'm running away from my mistress Sarah, she answered. When the angel, then the angel of the Lord, and actually if you'll see, this is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. This is the angel of Yahweh, the angel of Yahweh, told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now with child and you will have a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. So she gave this name to Yahweh, who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For She said, I have now seen the one who sees me. So what was the discovery that Hagar made? I think it's in that last verse. And it's not that God sees. We all know that. God is omniscient. He's an omnipresent. He sees everything. He sees everything in the telescope. He says, sees everything in the microscope. He sees everything. That's not the miracle. That's not what Hagar says. Hagar did not say, look at the God who sees. What she does say, this is the God who sees me. And the first discovery, that's the discovery she made. And that's something I want each of us to reach out and grab a hold of. Where are you today physically? Is, are you at a place physically that you feel all alone? 
Have you ever gotten one of those tests where the doctor says, you know, we, we found a little something and we're going to have to retest this because we're not sure it could be something or it might not be something. We'll have to retest. We'll do it and we'll call you in a week. I have come into this auditorium with that news either for myself or one of my family members. You ever feel alone physically? Maybe you're here emotionally. Maybe you're here spiritually alone. Maybe you're here mentally. I've gone through things in my life where I go, mentally I was in turmoil, and I remember sitting right here where Gina is in mental turmoil, and nobody, nobody knew that I was going through these issues of being all alone, but God is a God who sees me, and he sees you. And wherever you are today, will you reach out and grab that knowledge, and would you hold it tight? Because if you don't need that knowledge right now, you're going to need it soon or later, sooner or later. You have a God that sees you and he cares. And he's a God that gives direction to you. Did you notice in this that not only he sent the angel, and this very well is the Lord himself. We call that a theophany. A theophany is where God makes a physical manifestation of himself. Whether it's him or his angel, he gives direction to Hagar and said, listen, I know you're mistreated, but you need to go back. You need to go back. And so when we're in those lonely places, we need to cry out to God and say, okay, God, thank you for seeing my situation. I'm not smart enough. I'm not bright enough. I I, I don't know where I'm so lost. If we listen to his word, if we listen to his Holy Spirit, God will give us that next step. Give us that next step. What a great discovery. Let's go on to the, let's go on to the next one. And this one is found in Genesis 22. Genesis 22. This is not Abram, but Abraham. I love this. This is is Abraham. He's older. But we're never too old to learn, are we? We're never too old to to gain new discoveries of who God is. Because God is so, uh, so deep. So, so wise and so beautiful. We need to keep pressing into who he is. Well, look at Genesis chapter 22, beginning in verse 1. It says, sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said to him, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, saddled the donkey, and he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. Let's jump over to verse 9. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Then the angel of Yahweh, here we go again, God himself, his angel, called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, notice he repeats it twice. This is very characteristic of God. He'll often repeat someone's name twice. He does not want us to miss his message. Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. 
Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. I like that. See, God conveyed to Abraham, I know exactly what I'm asking. I know it's your son. I know it's your only son. And I'm asking you to sacrifice him. And when I first thought about this, I thought, you know, what is the discovery that Abraham made about God? It's that we do not withhold from him. That if we, we need not, God sees that when we withhold from him, are we giving everything to God? And I, I prepared that in my message, and I was going on to my next point, and the Holy Spirit just would not let me turn the page. And it was like the Holy Spirit said, no, you're missing it, Joe. You're missing it. Go back and look at it again. So I went back, and I realized I had missed it. He, see, that first part is the important part. He says, now I know that you fear God. Now that I know you fear God, that's why you don't withhold from me. And I go, what does that mean, God? What does it mean to fear you? I don't want to, you're not that father. That's not the picture I have. What discovery did Abram, Abraham make about God? Is it a fear like, don't hit me? No, then over in my NIV study Bible, in chapter 20, verse 11, in the commentary section, there was this word defining what that fear was. And this is it, and we'll put it on the screen. Fear has the sense of reverent trust in God and commitment to obey His revealed will. Fear has the sense of reverent trust in God and commitment to to obey His revealed will. Abram, how do I know that you revere me and trust me, fear me? Because when I ask you to give up that which is most important to you, you say yes. You don't, under necessary, you don't necessarily understand it, but you, you fear me, you trust me, you love me. And because of that, you know I'm not going to ever ask you to do something that's not for your very best. Thus, you do it and you show that you fear me. That's the discovery Abraham made. Have you made that discovery? Do you fear God? That when you come to this place and you say, God, there you are, and there's that thing or that person. And God, this is my one and only. This is that thing. That's my card. That's my relationship. That's my pride. That's That's my job. That's my location. That's where I grew up. This is my one and only. And God says, hey, I want you to sacrifice that to me. The only way that we will live that kind of dedication to God is if we look to God, our focus gets off of the thing, off of the stuff, off of the person, and onto God first. And we say, Father, there is nothing more important in my life than you. I fear you. And it's not a fear of you're going to hit me. It's a fear that I, I trust you and I'm committed to you, and because of that, because you're the most important relationship in my life, and because I trust you, whatever you call me to sacrifice, I will do so. What is your one and only? Because let me tell you something. God will come to you just like he did to Abraham, and at times he will say, I want you to give it. I I want that from you. Many times he'll give it right back to us. Sometimes he won't. But you have a God that is all wise and all loving. Abraham knew it, but do you know it 
because there's some sacrificing that may need to be done in your life to show that you fear the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? What a beautiful discovery that he made. Well, so, Hagar makes a discovery. It changes her life. We look at that and we say, you know, God sees me. He cares about me. I'm going to run to him. I'm never alone. Whatever situation I'm into, physically, emotionally, spiritually, I'm not alone. God sees. He does not, doesn't just see. He sees me. From Abraham, we learn that we, are, we need to fear God. And if we fear him, there's nothing off the table. Everything's on the table. God, you don't want me to date that person? I won't date that person. God, you want me to turn from this addiction? God, I will give you this addiction. I've done it all my life. You want me to turn from that pride? God, I'll give it to you because I fear you. But let's look at the third thing, person that made a discovery. The third Columbus, the third uh, Lewis and Clark is found in Exodus chapter 3, and his name is Moses. Moses. An explorer of who God is. And guys... We, all of us need to be explorers of the character of God. God wants you to discover him. That's why he sent his son. That's why he gave us his word. He wants you, but he doesn't want to do it surfacy. He wants you to get going, know him in his true character. Moses, and we're going to see in this character, in this chapter, how God is drawing Moses to discover him and who he really is. Look at chapter 3 of Exodus, beginning in verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert, and it came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why, does the, why the bush does not burn up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. Moses, Moses. See, he repeats it again, twice. Moses, Abraham, Abraham, Moses, Moses. That's, God does, want, does not want us to miss him. I also want you to notice in verse 4 that he, see how he, when the Lord saw that God, he had gone over to look, when God gives us any kind of revelation from his word, when his Holy Spirit speaks to us and we know and we confirm that it is God, we don't have all of the revelation yet. We're just responsible for taking the step toward that particular piece of revelation. Then more revelation comes. Does that make sense? If God is speaking to you, just listen to what he's saying at that point in history. Move toward it and then other revelation will come. We see that happen here. It's a principle we can have. And Moses said, here I am in verse 4. Verse 5, do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And in this Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. We see that the place, the discovery that we think we can quickly say is the discovery that Moses made is when you come into God's presence, you got to take off your sandals because he is a holy God. He is a holy God. We, as we travel this world, we pick up things on our feet. 
We pick up sin. We pick up compromise. We pick up things on our sandals, on our feet. And when he, when he saw that bush, he came over and he said, God, I'm ready to come into your presence. He says, no, you don't come into my presence any way you want to. And in, hear me now. If you think you can come to church, you can live any way you want to this week, and you say, I'm going to go worship the Lord. Folks, we've got to take our sandals off. Now, I'm glad we all come here. I've come here many times to deal with my sin, to deal with what I'm wrestling. You are welcome here. But make no mistake, for us to worship a holy God, to enter into that burning bush area, we have to live a holy life. We have to put away the sin because it says over in Isaiah that, that his ear is not too dull to hear, her eyes too, too dull to see. But he says, your sins have separated you from your God. We have to learn to live a holy life. We have to learn to, to do that because God resides in holiness. We see it here in the bush. We saw it when they built the temple. Remember when they, they had the era for the Gentiles and then the rest of the Jewish folks, and then they had this, this courtyard area, but there was one place in the middle. Remember that place? It was called the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies. And one man could go in once a year on the Day of Atonement, and he would sprinkle himself with the blood. He would sprinkle himself with the blood. What a foreshadowing of Jesus. The bush is a foreshadowing of Jesus. If you didn't see it, look at it again. He's saying, you don't just enter my presence any way you want to. You've got to take off your sandals. And he's saying, you know, in just a few thousand years, my son's going to help you take off your sandals. Because you can't take them off yourself. And the Holy of Holies says, one man sprinkled with blood can go in and visit the Lord and make sacrifice for a whole community. It's a holy place. But go with me over to Matthew 27. Oh, man, this is so exciting. If you've never read this verse, just, it's a blessing. Matthew chapter 27. Look at verse 50. This is when Jesus is crucified. This temple, this Holy of Holies had a curtain that separated the Holy of Holies where that one man would go in once a year. And in verse 50, it says, And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn into from which direction? Top to bottom. Folks, you don't get into the holiness of God from the bottom to the top. That's religion. Top to bottom, that's Christianity. God tore the, the, the curtain in two so that we could enter the Holy of Holies. Man, that's the gospel. That's Jesus. His body was torn for us so that, that now he can say, I don't want this one man a year. I don't want this burning bush. I, I don't want one man once a year. I want you, I want everybody to have ac access to me. But you only get here one way, and that's where you take off your sandals. As you, as you come in, you've got to take off your sandals. You've got to go through the torn body of Jesus Christ, and you can enter in and you can fellowship with me. Are you at that place? That's the gospel. If you're here and you say, but I've lived a good life. I've lived a good life. I've, done, I've gone to church. I've read my Bible. I've gone to vacation Bible school. But if you have never gone through the curtain through Jesus Christ, you're not in the Holy of Holies. You're just sitting there at the bottom of the curtain trying to tear it. You're trying to tear it and find your way in. 
No, look up. The curtain's been torn from the top to bottom. That's Christianity. That's the way we get into God's presence. That's the way we become a believer. Oh, have you done that? And if you are a believer and you have access to the Holy of Holies, do not think that you can live any way you want to. You can watch anything you want to on the computer. You can listen to any joke you want to this week at work. You can go and say, you know, just not forgive people. If you think you can live that kind of life and just say, hey, I think I'll go into the Holy of Holies, you're missing the fact that you've got to take off your sandals. He is a holy, he is a holy God. Look over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He, Paul get, got that, he discovered that message. He discovered it, and he tried to convey it to the people in Corinth. And he said it like this in verse 18. He said, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do, no, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You have bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Did you catch that? Now, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, this place needs to be holy. And where you go, I go. When you go in that bar, I go in that bar. When you look at that on the computer, I look at it on the computer. When you let your mind go there, I go there. Folks, we've got to take our sandals off because God deserves it. He's a holy God. And if you're not living that lifestyle today, you need to repent. You need to change your direction. You need to come back to God and say, God, I'm a sinner. And I've been trying to approach your, you, uh, the burning bush with my sandals on. And I, I ask you to forgive me. I fear you now. I, I, I fear you not like this, but I fear you because I, I trust you and I love you. And I want to be your person because you died for me. You created me. You died for me. You bought me twice. And you deserve my best. If you're not living it, Today's the day for you to make that decision. It's a choice. It's a decision to live for God. Well, let's look at one more. And I've, I've said this last one. I love this last one. I, I'm just going to just trade up tell you I love this discovery. Look over to Exodus chapter 13. Exodus chapter 13. Israel had been freed from Egypt. And now they're on their way to the promised land. What a picture of salvation. We, that God uses this picture for salvation. God, it says that in the scripture that he saw our misery. He saw them crying out. And he says, I have, I have sent Moses to bring you out. What a picture of Jesus. We're freed from Egypt. We're freed from sin. God releases us. Now we're on this journey to the promised land. That's what Israel was on their, on their journey to the promised land. That's salvation. When God brings us out of Egypt, he brings us out of our old life. But this journey now is trying to get Egypt out of us. That's called sanctification. All right? Salvation is when we, God releases us out of Egypt, out of the bond of the enemy. He gives us a new life. And as we journey, he's trying to sanctify us, trying to get Egypt out of us. Our old way of thinking, our old way of doing things. Look at chapter 13. Look at verse... 20. It says, after leaving Sokoth, they camped at Etham at the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or night. 
Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night. Get this, underline these next few words. Left its place in front of the people. That's the discovery the children of Israel. Go ahead and tell you, that's it. The discovery they made was that God never leaves his place. He will be there to guard you, to guide you, to do whatever necessary. He is, you're, you may have been forsaken by family, by parents, by, by spouses, by friends. You, by, you may have been rejected. But let me tell you something. Hear me now. God never leaves his place. And he is a rock. He is somebody you can count on. And you may have left your place. You may have deserted yourself emotionally. You may have denied yourself. Let me tell you something. God is right where he's always been. You can trust him. And this is what they discovered. But let's, let's look. He, he manifests himself as a cloud and, and as a fire. Did you see that? In verse, uh, he, is, he is a cloud by day. And he's also this pillar of fire as he manifests himself. Well, here comes Egypt. Here comes Egypt after uh, Israel. They come after Israel and they're chasing them down. And we won't go in, but I want to read quite a bit of this text. So just read behind me and we're going to make a few comments as we go. We're just going to brag on. We're going to discover God in this chapter, okay? So come on, hang on, go with me in this. Look at verse 13. Moses says to the people, here comes Egypt, here comes Pharaoh. They're chasing them down. Their back is against the Red Sea. Their back is against the sea here, okay? And here comes Pharaoh. He's changed his mind again. He's coming after him. And have you ever had an enemy, something from your past, come chasing after you? They do that. Verse 13, Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. God doesn't want you to be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. See, Moses has discovered if you want deliverance, it doesn't come from your mind or how hard you work. It comes from the Lord. The Egyptians you see today will never see, you'll never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh. Notice that. God gains glory through Pharaoh. And all his army through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory. Under, there it is again. Through the Pharaoh. God wants to gain glory through your enemies. And the very thing that you sit there and go, I hate this addiction. I hate I had those parents. I hate that the, he did that to me when I was a child. That's your Pharaoh. And when you give it over to the Lord and he chases down your Pharaoh, he chases down your enemy and he gains victory over your enemy, he receives, he gains glory. So those enemies that have been chasing you, see them and now as opportunities for God to gain glory through your life. Look at verse 19. Then the angel of God who had been traveling in front of Israel's army withdrew and went behind them. See, he, now he changes from guide to guardian. And he wants to be both, he wants to guide you, but when the enemy comes, he wants to guard you. 
He withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other, so neither went near the other all night long. God didn't leave his place. Verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud and at, at, the, at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. Now, at this next verse, if it was not God, if it was a person doing this, I would say you're just showing off. But look at this next one. He made the wheels of their chariots come on. And so that, that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from these Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. It Look at the power of God. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak, the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. Folks, God, God wants to sweep your enemies into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. Verse 29, but the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day, the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. Wasn't that beautiful? Can you imagine? The very people they had feared so much now lie dead. And when the Israelites saw that the great power the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people did what? feared the Lord and put their trust in Him and in Moses' servant. Do you realize that those things that have been changed? Moses, the Israelites discovered the very things that had been chasing them all their life through the power of God could gain glory and, and just totally decimate that enemy. God wants to do that for you. So, and he will gain glory. And you will put your trust in him. You will fear him. And you will live for him. That's what they learned. That's what they discovered. Will you? We've looked at these discoveries today. And I don't know. Maybe as we've looked at these four, maybe you've thought about something else. But we're getting ready to enter a time of invitation. And I'm going to ask the band to come up. And we're going to enter into this invitation time. And I want you just to think about the discoveries you make. Maybe one of these uh, are going to, you know, you're going to think about Hagar. Maybe as we're getting ready to, to, to have this invitation, you're, the Holy Spirit's going to draw you to the fact that you just need to just, just, just relish in the fact that He sees you right where you are. Would you stand with me? Would you bow your heads? 
God's seeing you right where you are. You don't have to put on emotional makeup. You don't have to put on a mask. He knows you hurt. Maybe this morning as we had this, this first song, I want to invite you to come down. And there's just something about coming down and kneeling to say, God, thank you, and I, I lay this at your feet. Maybe you're like Abraham. When we come to the place where we, you truly fear him, maybe there's something in your life that you know you've been holding back from him, and you need to come this morning and say, God, I've been having my eyes on this relationship or on this thing or this addiction, and I need just to lay this down before you. I need to worship you today. I need to fear you instead of fear this thing. Maybe you're like Moses and you need to take off some sandals. You've, you've been visiting around God, but when was the last time you went into the Holy of Holies? Or maybe you're sitting here and you've never, ever entered the curtain. You've been trying to rip it from the bottom to the top and you need to look up and see he ripped it from the top to the bottom. You need to become a Christian. Or maybe you just need to say, you know, that very enemy that's been chasing me all my life, I need to come and just give it to God and say, God, would you just supernaturally help me deal with this? And would you gain glory? Would you gain glory? The band's going to sing this song. You just worship the Lord. and Just climb up and hug his neck and whisper in his ear. Father, thank you for being this, for being that, for doing this, for doing that. Embrace him right now.